the Holy Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. There's a, it's not a misprint, but I want to give you all a, some good news. I'm going to give you bonus Bible, because really this ought to start at verse 22, and I didn't want to deprive you of those two verses. So we'll get to the part that's on the screen in two verses. So the next day, this is after Jesus fed the people, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there was only one boat there, and they also saw that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus, who was tired. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For it is on him that God the Father has set the seal. Then they said to Jesus, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one God has sent. So they said to Jesus, Well, what sign are you going to give us so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus then said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. The Gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. So, like I was telling the younger people a few minutes ago, you know, we have this story from Exodus, and uh, Exodus kind of is a neat play on words because ek is away from or to remove from or out of, and hodas is road. So Exodus kind of very literally means out of road. And it, it is the story of the journey of God's people from slavery into freedom. And something really interesting happens along the way, yes, it's just like I told the kids, as soon as they get out of Egypt and it's time for lunch, all of a sudden they start to complain, oh, at least in Egypt we had bread to eat. You know, and I was, I was thinking the other day as we're, we're kind of on the verge of not knowing again what's going on, right? And we've been here before. And I don't know about y'all, but like the second time that we're maybe coming to do with this, I'm done with it. I am just so over it. I can't stand it. And yet, you know, here we are again in that space where we don't know. And, and I've found myself a couple times saying, oh, at least before COVID we had, and there were lots of things we had before COVID. Like, not that everyone liked to shake hands, but I could shake your hand without worrying that I was going to give you something crazy, right? Although during flu season, that might be crazy in and of itself, right? Or, you know, I remember thinking to myself, you know, at least before COVID, when I would start in a congregation, I would have had all kinds of people in the church and we would have been able to do things together. And I would already be installed. Actually, being installed isn't something I've worried a lot about. But because, you know, I'm here. I'm doing the work. And, and ironically, I can say with, with great sincerity that I don't need somebody in a funny robe coming and putting hands over me and saying, poof, you're a pastor here. Because I've been a pastor here, right? But I will be installed. 
COVID willing, you know, September 26th, when we have our triumphal reentry into the sanctuary. You know, and, and so even though it would have been really nice to be able to do that, you know what COVID allowed me to do? Because we've been doing things on Zoom, I've gotten to meet the quiet people first. You know, I've gotten to meet the people who wouldn't speak up in Sunday school, the people who are constantly getting talked over and interrupted. I've gotten to meet the people who have trouble getting out of the house but are able to sit at a desk or a table or in a chair. You know, I've, I've been able to, to meet so many more people just because of the fact of this stupid virus has given us an opportunity to meet in ways we've never been able to meet before. And now I get to meet all the other people who I would have met otherwise. What an amazing gift that is, even though COVID is awful, right? And that wouldn't have happened before COVID. I would still not know very much about the quiet people. You know, it, it's meant that when I took communion for the first time to somebody in, a, in an assisted li living facility, Liz Tolbert, and actually she was also the first, um, the first hospital visit I was able to make, I have never been so happy to walk into a hospital as to visit somebody in my life. And it's because all of a sudden I recognized that what I do matters in a way that I knew before, but all of a sudden, having been denied the opportunity to do that for like a year and a half, wow, it means something different, right? And so I'm realizing all of a sudden, what has this last year and a half given me? It's given me more time with my family. It's given me the opportunity to have a lot of meetings that I would have slept to church for, which, don't get me wrong, I don't mind in-person meetings, but I sure don't mind being able to walk into the next room and then see my wife and then see Willow if she's still awake. You know, that's nice. It's allowed me to master smoking meat. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I mean, like, all kinds of things have happened. that might, And so I'm realizing... Maybe I don't want to go back there after all, because even though it was familiar, and even though I miss it, and as I said last week via video, yay technology, you know, we, we can't go home again, but we can create someplace like it, right? And so here we are in limbo, saying, man, at least before COVID we had this, but what did we have? We had a culture that put so many demands on our time, most of us felt like we were drowning most of the time because we had to be a million different places doing a million different things and we were invested in this culture of being busy. You know, most of the time, you know, it's gotten to the point where when you ask somebody how they were doing, the answer stopped being fine and the answer started being busy. Is that who we're called to be? Is that the value we're called to put in our lives? Is that the way we are called to live as people who are created by God, who gave us the commandment to remember the Sabbath? Not remember to work. Remember to rest. Is busy really what we're called to be? You know, at least back before COVID, we had the overwork that we were doing in offices and we couldn't see our family. Well, and, and I joke about it, but for some people that's a real problem because not being able to go into the office means no paycheck. And there are some things from before COVID that would be really nice to see come back. People being able to have reliable employment who need to be there in person is one of those. And so I don't want to make too light of it because this has also caused real, true suffering. And I think that's one of the things that the church is going to be called to deal with in the next year to two years. How do we as the people who are called by the God who identifies God's own self as being the one who delivers people from slavery out of the house of Egypt, you know, who, who hears the cries of God's people and provides manna, which by the way sort of literally means what is this? Because they describe it in such 
you know, the terms like it was flaky and crusty and whatever, because they didn't know what it was, you know, but they ate it because they were hungry. And then they were hungry and God gave them quails. You know what God didn't do? God didn't say, well, you know, you walked pretty willingly today, so I'll give you some quail. But I tell you what, I'm not sure you deserve help because you complained the whole way. That's not what God did. God saw the needs of the people and God provided for them. You know, and so as we move into this new time, whether it's into lockdown again, whether it's into the joy of Delta going away and whatever else might happen that I wish for, this is what I know is that who we are as people, who we are as a people, as Americans, as, you know, Massachusettsians and Sudbarians, you know, that's different. Who we are as St. John is different, and it will always be different because there is nothing that we experience that doesn't leave us somehow unchanged. Thanks be to God, because I know I've learned some things that I don't want to go back to. And I know I've also learned some things that I yearn to return to because I've realized just how important they are. And so that's how we get to John 6 today in my mind is, you know, John 6 begins immediately after the last reading left off. Jesus fed 5,000 people, 12, bas 12 baskets left over, huge symbolism saying, you know, each of the 12 tribes of Israel, none of them are being left behind. There is enough for everybody where the kingdom of God is and you are living into the life that I've called you to live, I make certain that what you have to do is enough. And so Jesus, being tired, and the disciples being tired because, you know, cooking for 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish, that's hard, I guess. And so in the morning they recognize that Jesus is gone and they hop boats and find him on the other side. And this is where the entire Gospel of John changes. After John 6, Jesus is never the same again. Jesus' idea of ministry is never the same. Jesus' idea of what signs mean, which is the Johannine word for miracles, that's never the same. Jesus' idea of his own identity is never the same. And the way that Jesus looks at the people following never changes. In two weeks, spoiler alert, you will see that 5,000 people have abandoned Jesus you will see that the 172 have abandoned, or the 144 or whatever it is, have abandoned Jesus. You'll see that the 72 is, have left, and all we will have left is Jesus and the disciples. And verse 666, strange coincidence, is Jesus saying to the disciples, are you going to abandon me too? And then, hey Bart, can you play the line for the gospel affirmation real quick? Just a little... Just a See how major that is? How happy that is? That's, there's no flats. There's no minor key. Alleluia. I'm happy. And you know the, where, the, where those words come from? Alleluia. You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? That is Peter's response to Jesus when he says, are you going to abandon me too? In the lowest point of Jesus' ministry, when everything feels like it's failed, when the people have abandoned him, Peter says, we don't have any place else to go, Lord. We've thrown everything in with you. What are we going to do? And so today is the setup for what's coming next. And Jesus sees the people coming to the other side of the lake. And what does he hear? At least back in Egypt, we had the flesh pots and we had bread to eat. And it might have just been a straw mat to sleep on, but it was more comfortable than the dirt. Right? You didn't come here because you saw the work of the Spirit. You were confused that the miracle was loaves and fish. The miracle has nothing to do with this bread that you'll eat that's going to leave you hungry. Why do you work for food that perishes? 
Why do you work for the thing that's going to leave you hungry again? Why do you spend your time doing the things that you don't enjoy? You know, some of them we can choose, some of them we can't. But, you know, why, why is it that so many people say, well, I can't wait to retire because I've hated my job for my entire career? Why do we work for the food that perishes? Why do we want to spend our one life where we spend most of our waking, up, waking hours where we spend most of our time away from our family and most of the time away from the house that we pay or apartment or whatever that we pay to live in, hating what we do. If that's not food that perishes, I don't know what is. And sometimes the money's nice, especially when you have bills to pay. But there's other ways to make money that might be more fulfilling. Why do we work for the food that perishes? Why do we put up with a culture that demands that we are machines and all we do is produce? Because it's told us that's what our identity is. That production and that, that efficiency and all the rest of it are what matter. And yet we worship God who says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Because what makes us human isn't necessarily what we do, even though doing things is important. What makes us human is who we are when our hearts are still. What makes us human is who we prepare ourselves to be for those times when we're busy when we're running frantically, when we're upset and we're frustrated and we could just either snap at the person in front of us or we could take a breath because we've taken the time to rest. And there's a reason don't kill, it follows the command to rest because I tell you what, if I'm not resting, I want to kill things, you know, because it makes me cranky. So Jesus says to the people, you know, you didn't come because you saw the work of the Spirit, you, became, you came because your bellies were full. But I will give you bread that doesn't leave you hungry. Well, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life. Those who eat of me will never be hungry, and those who drink of me will never be thirsty. So what is the real miracle? What is the real sign? What is the true gift that Jesus gives these people? Life in the presence of God and community in which we experience the fullness of God. Because there, is, there are times where being in the woods, we worship God. There are moments where being on the water, we can feel very peaceful and very spiritual. But every time we see the, the manifestation of God's Spirit, it's in the company of somebody else. You know, in the desert where Jesus was, was being tempted, God is revealed at the end of that temptation and the angels attending to Him. You know, when, when Jesus is spoken to by the, by the cloud and the dove descends upon Jesus and or the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, he's surrounded by the community when he's being baptized. Water turns to wine at a wedding. 5,000 people are fed. Well, there's people there, right? Lazarus is raised from the dead in the company of his family. The woman who is healed by touching the hem of his garment is in a crowd. Jesus reads from the scroll of, the, of Isaiah in the temple. We can experience God alone. But the fullness of God is always revealed in relationship. And that is the miracle that we were not created to be alone. We were not created to be solitary, but we were made so that in community with the people who love us and care for us and care about us, this is where we experience the fullness of our own humanity. This is where we experience the fullest presence of God in the breaking of the bread, in water and word and spirit through the people who visit us and pray for us, the people who laugh and cry with us, the ones who become our family through the waters, even if they're not our family in blood, 
those family members that we meet along the way in our lives usually are the ones who really mean the most to us, aren't they? And so this is the place where we meet the ones who love us. So when we, when we go out from this place and, you know, we, we remember all the things that we miss and all the things that we wish and all the ways we, we could be busy. Are we working for food that perishes? Or is the work that we're doing work that builds up our heart? Work that builds up our lives? Work that builds up our soul? Work that builds up our families? Work that builds up our communities? Because that's where the miracle of God's presence is and that's where the church is. Where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, it's not just because we have funny colors and beautiful music and, and scripturally formed liturgy. It's because where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, we have the community of the beloved, and we go out into the world to share with all the world that they are part of that community too. Not because they say magic words, but because of whose they are. It's the same as who we are. We are beloved by God, and it's our opportunity to share it with the world. Amen.